Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel, joined as always during football season and as we cross over into basketball season by my main man, Dave Simone. We have a lot to get to this week. We will briefly, briefly touch on the Bearcats' thrilling victory over UConn uh, from last Saturday. We got a couple basketball games to get to, past and future. And uh, a lot to talk about in general. So uh, let's get right to it, Dave. First off, remind everybody that this Saturday night, 7 o'clock, Taft's Brewporium, another Bearcat Journal watch party. You guys have been awesome this season. So keep showing up, keep showing out. And uh, Taft's is flirting with me now, Dave. They did, I saw they did, that. They did it again today. They're flirting with me. On the on the existence of the Red Helms beer, I think this might happen, bro. I think it might happen. I hope so. I do too. Do, do you think we should like we should go into development and then and then try to do something like next August, right around football season? I mean, I would hope that they would bring us in to kind of do some some R and D, some some tasting to make sure we feel like this is. That whatever we choose, you know, symbolizes and really grabs the essence of, of, of who Bearcat Red Helms yeah. is, what he represents, what kind <laughs> of beer he would be. I think that's fair. But uh, there, if you're listening, Tafts, let's get this thing popping. Let, let's get into the discussion of, of what Red Helms would 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 enjoy in uh in his beer and then let's get it ready to go by like i'd say i'd say august next year and have it on have it on tap for watch parties in 2020 i mean i think that that's the way to go so uh but make sure you head down um we will once again the special continues after the first cincinnati touchdown pints are half price uh or three dollars for the remainder of the game from the time Cincinnati scores their first touchdown to the final horn, $3 pints. And uh, if it's anything like ECU, it happened early, and there were a lot of $3 pints that were uh, enjoyed by yeah. all. So get down there, have some dinner, have some pizza, have some wings. <clears throat> I, 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 For the longest time, I've been a pizza guy there, but the last two times I've switched to the wings, they're so good. They're so good. They are good. Uh, so make sure you you see us at Taft's Friday night or Saturday night, seven o'clock kickoff as the Bear, the Bearcats take on the USF Bulls, and uh, we will see you then at seven. Speaking of good, Dave, uh, I just want to touch on it real quick. Special thanks to our guys at Ebert's Meats in Newport. How good were those brats? Oh, outstanding! Uh, I've had a lot of good tailgate food in my day. That was way up there. In fact, I, I went back today as I was uh, coming home from the John Brandon press conference. I stopped at Ebert's and got a pack of those brats. I showed them to Kelly, and she was like, when are we having those? Those look incredible. I was like, they they're, are incredible. They're the biggest damn things I've ever seen. They're huge. You, they, it, you don't need a bun. Uh, I, I was talking to one of the guys that worked there. He said what he does is he cuts them in half and puts them on hamburger buns. Yeah, I mean, you either do that or get like a 
like an eight inch hoagie roll or something. Yeah. Like you could these are these are not for your your store bought uh hot dog imagine? brat sausage type buns. We should have we should have put one on a hot dog bun just to see what it would have looked like. <laughs> if you go to my my Twitter and or uh or my Facebook and check out the pictures, I mean those things are like the size of your forearm. God, they were delicious though. I mean, I was not expecting that. I like a good brat, but that thing was unbelievable. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, a step up with with flavor from, you know, from your run, your Johnsonville, your store bought, even your supermarket, maybe in the in the meat case brat. I mean, these were these were legit. Yeah, and I and I say this like that. I they had just started producing these brats in the past couple months i had not had them yet so that was my legit like first experience and it was like we're gonna have to get more of these like immediately because they were they were spectacular i'm gonna smoke them sure i I was told that that's um so friday i'm gonna put some on the smoker and try them out but Thanks to the to the guys at Eberts. The burgers were fantastic. The brats were, were amazing. The Italian sausage was very good. Had some pasta salad. Had some potato salad. They took care of the whole deal. So uh, go check them out and get the brats for real. You're not going to regret that. All right, let's get into it. That is much more exciting than anything that's going to be said in the next five minutes. Uh, the Bearcats demolished UConn. And my God. Like, okay, here's really the only thing I came away from with that game. Football's not going to last there more than three or four more years, is it? Like, I, I've been, I've been trying to tell. Who, I mean, not. I don't think this is like a shock to our fan base, but like, they think that they can just be fine as an independent, and I'm like, I don't see it because. Like, if they want to just be an independent, they're going to be UMass in three to five years. That's what they're going to be. They're already. They, I mean. Well, no, they just beat UMass by 20 I know. I know. But, but they're, that's they're, because they still have kids on that team that were recruited. They can say whatever they want about having to play Tulsa and Tulane and East Carolina. Those kids are recruited to play in – in what we consider major college football. And now I want to know who they're going to get to come play for them. You, We all saw the lack of talent that they have. I mean, Coach Fickle yesterday almost called them an FCS program, and I think he caught himself. It was either in the press conference or on the coaching show I was listening to <laughs> today at work. Like He basically called them, and that's, that's what I've been saying that they're going to be. They should just drop to FCS and try to be competitive on that level because it is not going to work. They're going to schedule these home and homes with Boston College and Syracuse and the the Northeast teams. They're going to take these bye games at Auburn and Clemson and Central Florida's got one scheduled in the next couple of years, and they're going to get run. That's so bad. I don't know who's like – you can say you're going to – do these things but like when push comes to shove who are you going to get to come play for you who right. who is going to like i don't care if you 
have these bigger name teams on your schedule. Like none of them are at home. And who's going to, if you just keep losing, no one's going to come watch to, no matter who you're playing. Like they're going to go two and 10 this year. They're going to go two and whatever, one and 11, two and 10, oh and 12 next year. Like you just, it doesn't matter. All these things that they're touting won't matter if they don't win games because they're not going to get players. Because, I mean, just look at that roster right now. Like, it's it's so bad. Like, they have a few nice pieces here and there. Like, they're, they had a defensive tackle that is a nice player. The running back's a good player. True freshman wide receiver's a good player. He didn't get, catch a ball until I think the game was 45 to nothing. Um. So I just look at it and I'm like, they're they're not gonna get guys. So how are they gonna get better? Like any coach that has any option to go anywhere else is gonna leave from an assistant standpoint. Yeah. So they're not gonna have good assistants. They're not gonna have cohesion in a in a staff. You know, kids are gonna transfer that that were recruited for something else, and now they're gonna play something totally different next year if they've got an option to leave they're going to leave it's just, i just don't i don't see it they're they're kind of hamstrung from a stadium standpoint but i mean they can take all the million dollar games they want at you know at these major schools it, it's going to be ugly because none of those teams are coming to connecticut their home schedule next year would have had UC and UCF on it. And now it's filled with Army and Liberty and San Jose State and Central Connecticut State. Like, good luck. More power to you. And their basketball team is getting the crap kicked out of them right now at halftime by St. Joe's. So they can take all the, oh, we're going to the Big East, it's going to be great stuff, and blow it right up, you know what. Yeah. They, I mean, I. what I took from that game, um, one, my brain was not there. So I, I had some family stuff going on. I don't really want to get into that. But I, it was so bad, and there was so much other stuff going on in my head that I. it was like I wasn't even at the game. Um, the one thing that stood out, the Ben Bryant throw to Josh Wiley. It was nice. Jay Sean was real nice too. Yeah, but that one was a little high. Jay Sean made a great play on it. Yeah, but it was still like a good. Still, yeah. But I'm, that throw to Wiley was was a laser. Oh, it was perfect. It was a perfect throw, perfect catch. Like, yeah. So it was good to see that. Um, the long run from Jared Dokes was good to see. He is uh, starting to find a groove, which I think is very good going down the stretch. Uh, you're going to have a, a healthy Jared Dokes and a fresh Mike Warren to to pound into teams uh, here over these last three games. I think that's very good. Um, I liked Joel DeBlanco, what I saw from him. Uh, Ty Van Fossum was good. Ethan Tucky got another uh, punt block. Uh, by the way, ECU, do the right thing. Credit the man with his punt block. I don't know what has propelled them to – they, they – wouldn't here's my question, Dave. So ECU has not credited Ethan Tucky with the 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 punt he blocked a couple weeks ago. 
So you're just okay with, like, you're just throwing your punter under the bus? He had a 20-yard kick? Yeah. If that ball wasn't blocked by Ethan Tucky, it literally is one of the 10 worst kicks of all time. What are we doing here? Give the kid credit for his block. That's dumb. But other than that, I, I got nothing on that UConn game, man. That was – they're so bad. Yeah, I mean, it's hard – that's worse. That, watching, really... the, watching them as the past two years has been worse than watching UC play FCS teams. Like, you know, I think they crossed, they crossed the 50, I think, twice in the first half. One barely. The other, the, on the, like, they had, a, a, I think, a good run, and then on the very next play through an interception, the interception to, to Forrest. Yeah. I mean, they had more punts in the first half than completions. Sounds you know? about right. So, it's just, I mean, I don't really know what, I don't really know what to say about anything. Like, I, I thought that the offensive line with the, you know, kind of how they've worked to reconfigure, especially the left side and then, and I've then got Mojo's some, out. Some, I got some interesting numbers on on games missed that I, that I don't want to get into when it, whenever you know in in the football segment. But like, I guess they looked okay. Like the only time Des really got hit was on the time that the left defensive yeah. end came came free and hit him in the mouth. Um, which I don't know why Etzel thought that that was a bad call. Like he hit him with his freaking helmet right in the jaw. Like I don't. The fact that they didn't call it live was more stunning than anything. Yeah, how so, did you miss that? That was you know, textbook I, targeting. I think I think Des probably had a couple throws that he wished he had back. Um, guys that were open, but other than that, like he ran the ball very well again. Like I think that's becoming that's going to become and has become a problem. Granted, it's ECU and it's. UConn, but like they're getting the run game going back to more of what we saw last year. And with Dez, he's over, he's about 215 the last two games. Dokes, Ward, I mean, that's just going to be tough for even your better defenses to withstand for an entire game. Um, but other than that, like, I, I don't you can't really take anything from it because it's like opponent adjusted everything. Um, I'm glad they got a bunch of guys in, in the second half. Other than that, I, there's really not anything else we can say. Like, yeah. they're so, okay, well, they're, they're so they're bad. They're, okay. We, then let's move on. You've got numbers that you want to share with us. Do that. Let's go there. Yeah. So we, like we talked about, in the preseason, you know, would this where would this team be? Kind of compared to last year, eleven and two, kind of came out of nowhere. We after the season, we realized the you know, schedule was pretty, pretty light, and they were lucky to win. You know, let's be honest, probably lucky to win the OU game. Like, I don't know if I'd say lucky, but fortunate to win the SMU game. And they really didn't deal with many injuries at all last year. You know, we've talked about Garrett Campbell missing half the season, but that was really the only injury and Perry Young that was more than, you know, a game here, a game there type of thing. Right. So I was just wanting to like, well, 
we've we've known that we've noticed that there's been a lot of more injuries this year, but like how impactful has it been? And there's might be some that I've missed, but I kind of tried to stay away from like just the one game here and there thing because everybody has those. But if you look at where we were at preseason, we were penciling James Hudson in at somewhere on the offensive line. So there's 12 games right there. Wiggins, 12 games. McClellan, 12 games. Woodside probably would have factored in somewhere in that Yeah, especially with all the the way that things have gone. Top seven linemen, 12 games. Basevich would have probably been a 1B type of guy. 12 games. Cooper, eight games. Dokes, two games. Ferguson, two games. And I doubt Morgan will play this week, so there's two games. Just those guys. That's 74 games missed. Teams, teams at UC's level, the problem is always depth. It's having good enough depth and it's sustaining depth because not only do your frontline guys get hurt, your backups get hurt in practice, they get hurt in games, things like that. So I'm looking at that and it's almost making what they're doing this year even more impressive than I originally thought because they're dealing with injuries. Everybody does, but they're dealing with injuries to top line impact guys. Yeah. They're playing a much tougher schedule. Like I know if US if UCLA upsets Utah this weekend, every one of their non conference opponents has at least a five hundred record. Three of them have winning records. And they all are probably or if you, you UCLA is gonna be on the, the bubble there, but Three of the four are for sure going to bowl games. So that element is, has been elevated from years past where they've played an FCS team and a bad Miami team. Like, I don't know how good Miami is, but they're five and four. They're probably going to win tonight. They're going to be six and four with two probably winnable games left. There's nothing, more, there's nothing more difficult than Miami's out-of-conference schedule. That was just dumb what they did to that, those kids. That's just insane if they do that to themselves. I mean, I guess for the money, but, like, give your team a chance to go to a bowl game every once in a while. But either way, like, looking at those numbers, it's kind of eye-opening when you're, like, two guys that we were projecting to be starters on the offensive line are going to miss a total of 20 games. Our star safeties missed the whole year. Our difference maker running back missed the whole year. Like, we've got other starters that have missed multiple games. So, it, I just think that what they're doing is showing the what they've been able to do in recruiting and player development, because that was the issue with the last staff. It wasn't – the recruiting locally was a joke, but the recruiting overall – wasn't the problem. It was they didn't know how to coach and they certainly didn't know how to develop the talent that they had. Yeah, they're winning with a lot of those dudes here over the last two years. So like that now they're getting to the point where it's going to be sustainable regardless of if Coach Fickle were to get a great offer and he were to leave. And we're not saying that that's the case, but like you've got the depth now that you're striving for where they can say, oh, we want to play 22 guys on defense. Well, they actually can now because these numbers are bearing that out. Like 
they're having to play more guys because of some of these injuries, and there isn't this, like, huge drop-off where we'll get into USF a little bit where they're super talent deficient, and now they're going to have some backups in there, and there is a major drop-off. And that's kind of where the difference is in these G5 upper-level teams and then the ones trying to catch up. Well, just look at Wiggins. Like in in most situation, in most times, and you well, how many times has UC had one good safety on the roster? Not a whole lot. Much less the really? depth to have someone step in. Yet you have your number one safety go down. Your number two safety is having a phenomenal all conference type season, and your number three safety has stepped in and been a factor. Has he made mistakes? Has he been perfect? I mean, he hasn't been James Wiggins, but they haven't been hurt by him stepping into that role. No, he's so more that, than he's more than you know covered for what could could have possibly been expected. And think about next year. So Wiggins comes back. You got Wiggins, Forrest, Hicks. My guess is Taj Ward stays at safety. Um, we'll see how that plays out. But uh, the only reason I say that is they've moved Jaquan Shepard to corner uh, in and practice. Cook, Cook, will, Cook will probably move. I, my guess is they might they they'll take a look at Cook at sniper, which I think is a great fit for him. Um, yeah, I mean, either way, like we'll get into this. Maybe probably on like a in between yeah. end of the season bowl game type deal when we're but, when but we you've got Dingle have, like uh, you're loaded at safety now. The the team like I've already looked at this too like with the schedule the way the schedule shakes out next year and the roster that they should have like this year is the year ahead year next year is the we're going for broke year yeah. So yeah, I mean it, the 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 depth and and now and and this adds to your point going into next year. Now you've got Hudson coming back, and Harper's got experience, and Metz well, has yeah, experience, you've got, you've got and Darius McConnell Harper, has experience. Darius Harper, who was playing basketball, who's now gotten real game action and. Has not looked out of place. Just think how much better he's going to look in August, even right. just compared to now, when he can go through a whole spring, another whole off-season conditioning, a whole bowl practice, a whole spring, a whole summer, a whole fall practice. Like we have a left tackle who hasn't really played football in how many years and doesn't look out of place at all. Right. And now Coop's got experience. Jeremy Cooper, Vince McConnell's got experience. Jakari is is now going to be, you know, a, a rock solid, basically year and a half, two year starter at center going into his junior year. Now all of a sudden, when coming into this year, all we could talk about was the inexperience on the offensive line. Now we're talking about a lot of guys with a lot of reps that are going to be battling for position. You put Woodside back in the mix. Dylan O'Quinn will be in the mix. Uh, I think they like what they've seen from 
Marcella Mendiola, who will be a redshirt freshman and be available. So that room in one year is going to go from what do we have to how do we sort through the five guys to get on the field? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's kind of turned into a coach's dream when yeah. when you're hit by you're, – you're struck with some injuries, you can get young guys' experience, and you still win. Like right. that's the that's the thing. I mean, if you're going to get injuries, more times than not, it's going to affect you in the record, and it's not. And now they're getting these guys' experience while winning, and they're going to go into next year, you know, in just the two position groups we've talked about, defensive back and offensive line, with just kind of an insane amount of, of experience and depth that, you know, they probably didn't expect to be able to get this year. We've said this before. I'll say it again. Ron Crook is really good at his job. Yeah. Really good at his job. There's not a lot of um, ready-made dudes that come through, you know, a program like UC. So you've got to have good coaches that can develop talent and have an eye for what can be developed, too. That's the other thing is it's one thing to take a a highly – sought after guy and and refine his game but when you can find guys that you can see things that you can work with and then it actually comes to fruition that's that's you know that's awesome for for everybody all right let's get into uh the bulls uh injury riddled at this point in time looks like they'll be down an offensive tackle looks like they'll be down a quarterback, at least one. I know they were on at one point. They were on like quarterback four. Yeah, uh, where where Jaquan are they at Evans. on their quarterback situation? Jaquan Evans, who was committed to UC without UC knowing about it in the last recruiting cycle. Remember that guy? Oh yeah, I yeah. Do. <laughs> <laughs> so their starters, Jordan McLeod. They don't. Their offense is pretty pretty bad. Like they're barely averaging over three hundred yards a game. Their run first, it's not dynamic. They don't have playmakers on the outside. Um, but McLeod is like a mid-50s completion percentage guy, 10 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. He's a runner. I mean, he'll, he, They're definitely a run-based team all the way through. Um, Evans is their backup, but he's out. He had, got a concussion against ECU two weeks ago. So their other quarterback would be, I think he's a walk-on, who's actually played this year because McLeod and Evans got hurt against ECU, right. so he got in. Uh, Jordan Cronkite's a good back. Mitchell Wilcox is a good tight end. Like, they have some pieces. They just can't They can't sustain drives. I think their offensive line is bad. They've given up nine sacks twice this year. They gave up nine to Temple last week. And I think their best offensive lineman, uh, Donovan Jennings, is the one you mentioned. He's out, likely out. Um, I was listening to a podcast today, and the exact quote was, Oh, dear Lord, put McLeod in a bubble if Donovan Jennings doesn't play. Because apparently the backups don't have a clue what's going on (laughs) on the offensive line. So... It's kind, of, you know, it's again. I'm if the if the best thing they do is run the ball and they're not real explosive, 
I mean, they have more explosive plays on the year than UC, but I think for the most part, like, they're not an explosive offense. Like, they've played three top 45 defenses, Wisconsin, Navy, and Temple. They've scored a combined 10 points in those three games. It's not good. They have only scored 31 first-quarter points all year. So this is a game if UC can, you know, we know they've had their struggles on the road regardless of opponent, but this this might be a game where they can – they can jump out. It might be over quick. Um, their defense is odd because they are right with UC in sacks, like I think around 37th nationally. They're top 10 in tackles for loss. They've got 10 interceptions, which is a good number, but they're ninth in the AAC in rushing defense at, almost, at 194 yards a game. So I don't understand, like, what's going on. Like, why is your D-line good in creating negative plays and pretty good at sacking the quarterback, but you can't stop the run? Yeah, that doesn't seem to fit. Right. So, you know, again, listening, reading, sounds like they're not really excited to face UC's rushing with the with the three guys, um, they play a lot of man. They play like it's, I think their defense is kind of similar to UC. Like they try to use the defensive line, play man coverage. So you know if UC's offensive line is up for, I think there's going to be plays to be made in the passing game. Um, but I also think that this they they have a chance to kind of control the game from a running standpoint. I just. It sounds like they're not. I mean, they've they got pretty much destroyed by anybody good that they've played this year. I mean, Navy absolutely hammered them, only gave up three points. Wisconsin shut them out in the first game of the year. Yeah, um, I mean, the only real weird one is ECU, who they pretty much dominated. Yeah, I think ECU, ECU though, kind of showed them ECU's defense is what it was. They just didn't have that an explosive offense like they've had the last two weeks. Yeah, well, it's what, what you just went back to. USF is pretty good against the pass, but they can't stop the run. Well, ECU doesn't really run. Right. So that matchup played right into their hands. They certainly Whereas, haven't ran the last two weeks. Right. Whereas, you see, is they might not get to 50 pass attempts in two games. So, yeah. All right, let's do it. The Trace Pountas, Dave Simone prediction of the week. What is Trace Pountas? Fresh roasted coffee, gourmet coffee shipped directly to you. Coffee beans are roasted to order your order and shipped out immediately. Every bag of beans has the roast date clearly printed on it. So, you know, your coffee is fresh. You've heard of single-origin coffee. Trace Pantas is one level higher. It comes from a single-family farm. Specifically, our high-quality beans come from the Race Family Coffee Farm located near the town of Trace Pantas in Brazil. You ever been to Brazil? I haven't. I want to go for Carnival one year. <laughs> but I don't. I'm, I'm getting to that point. Like That probably should have happened in my 20s. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, so, probably. <clears throat> so why should you buy Trace Poundhouse coffee? Fresh roasted coffee tastes the best. There's a huge difference between drinking coffee that's been freshly roasted versus even just a few weeks old. All of the coffee you find in the grocery and even gourmet food stores has been sitting there for weeks. Trace Poundhouse offers a unique opportunity to drink coffee immediately after it has been roasted and shipped directly to your home. How do you get it? TracePoundhouse.com, T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S.com slash coffee. All orders are roasted fresh and shipped out immediately. 12-ounce bags of both whole bean and ground coffee. Choose between light, medium, dark, and French roast. You can also choose from K-Cups. So you go to TracePoundhouse.com slash coffee. You sign up for your subscription. They'll send you coffee every one, two, or four weeks. Your choice. And then when you get to checkout, you enter Bearcats at checkout when buying the subscription. 20% off every bag of coffee in your subscription for the life of your subscription. And you get free shipping. Dave, score. I think this one will be a little closer than what we thought the last two were going to be, especially the last one. Their offense is not, I mean, is not set up to have any similar effect, I don't think, to what ECU did. The quarterback's not as good. Uh, the offensive line is terrible, and the receivers aren't as good. So, But I think their defense is pretty good. I think they'll they'll get some stops. I mean, in stop rate, they're right around UC. I think maybe like three or four spots behind. So still, still, you know, pretty good. So I'm thinking like, uh, I'm going to go 31-13. I'm I'm probably in a similar range. I'm not, I'm going to probably go 10 or under on USF. I think they're really going to struggle to move the ball against the Bearcats. Um, I'll go 34-10, I think, with UC maybe pulling away a little bit in the fourth quarter. Um, I just, when you look at this, this is a bad matchup for USF on paper. I have been worried about this game for a long time with, you know, Temple and and Memphis coming up right after it. Uh, I worry about coming off playing UConn because basically – UC would have gotten a better game playing the ones versus twos and not even yeah. ones, ones versus one B's ones versus twos. I think you see what got a better game. Um, yeah. I kind of wonder like after UC was up, I think it was 17, nothing. They kicked the field goal. Like if you see were in the same play on offense, the rest of the game, would the score have been any different? Probably not. Probably not. All right, let's get into uh, let's get into some basketball. Uh, nice win over Drake, a team that is you know the the returning uh, champions in the Missouri Valley Conference. Uh, they they were dealing with a couple injuries. I thought you know there, it was probably going to be a little bit of a better game, but they one they weren't at full speed, and and two Cincinnati had a stretch in the first half where they were excellent. Um. Overall, I I don't know how you could not be uh, happy with what you saw walking out of that game uh, if you're a Cincinnati fan. Well, Chad, you know what they did last night that they didn't do against Ohio State? They ran the make shots play. 
they ran the make shots play. I like I mean, that play. It's it really is not that hard. Like you run the make shots plays, and you have successful games more times than not. I mean, really, not that in the first half of those two games, there really wasn't a ton of difference. They just made the shots last night that they missed against Ohio State. Yeah. Ohio State's not missing shots tonight. Holy cow. No, they are not. They, since the second half of the UC game, I don't think they've missed any shots. But um, Up 62-32 no, in the second half on Villanova. Yeah, it was, it was, when I flipped it on, I think in the first half it was like 35-10. to 10, And I said, what in the heck is going on here? It was 19-3, to 3, I think, to start the game. That's pretty good. Um, yeah. But no, I, I I continue to like what I've seen from Chris McNeil. I know he had a he struggled shooting the three, but I just think the way he plays is gonna set up so much for for the other guys. I mean, he had a couple of those blur end to end type plays that you know is what I think people expect and hope to see in Coach Brandon's style of offense. Um, Oh, been, it's, it's coming. I've been pleasantly we'll, we'll talk surprised. about that in a minute, but it's coming. Oh yeah, I've been pleasantly surprised with with the big too. Yeah. I Chris Vote, Jay Soroya. I think they're giving in these early games, and obviously in conference, it'll that'll be a little bit different because of the way that this conference yeah is but set say, up to just be a more no. I mean. I think they'll be able to handle it. We'll just we just can't say for certain yet. We because we haven't yeah. seen. I mean, it's just set up to be a much more physical style of play down low. But I've been like they're decisive, which I think is good. Um, I would like. I still feel like we're kind of trying to find our footing from a rebounding standpoint. I know Trey's had two really good rebounding games, but even. Maybe maybe it was more second half when there was more subbing and more young guys in, but yeah. I still felt like there was kind of a similar effect to against Ohio State. We could do better on the glass. Um, but other than that, I mean, after the first, what, seven, eight minutes, it was a pretty much between a 20 to 30-point game for the rest of the way, and Coach Brandon subbed liberally and played a lot of the young guys, which I think you need to do on a team that has some – key veterans, but also you're going to be needing those guys, especially next year, but I think you're going to need some of them this year too. Yeah, uh, I think I like what I've seen from Mike Adams Woods. Uh, I think Zach Harvey is still trying to find his footing, Um, but he looked a little bit more confident out there than he did uh, in the exhibition game. Didn't really see him against Ohio State, but it, it looks like it's starting to to come along for him. Um, the interesting thing is, and I, I was talking to somebody about this the other day when the new guys are in, it might even have been you. I don't remember, but when the new guys are in, you're seeing, they don't have the years and years of history of running a different system. So they're, they're probably running the system quite a bit better. Uh, in terms of technic- technically, like what the system is supposed to look like, 
the way the ball is moving, the way the, the, the player movement goes. You're not seeing it stick as much. They just don't have as much ability to make shots at this point in time. Right. It's more, it's more free flowing because it's more, it's more ingrained. It's more second nature. And they just don't have anything else to go off of. I think the funniest thing for me is, is defensively. And I asked Trey Scott about this today. Cause I've noticed it with Trey. I've noticed it, uh, with, uh, with Trevor Moore, some, um, Jaron, you don't really notice it as much, uh, but you'll see them instinctively want to pass guys off like they're still in the zone. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, I mean, it's just been so ingrained in their heads for so long that, you know, a, a, a guy comes through and you see a guy cut across the middle of the lane and you've got somebody within five, seven feet of you. And you just, you know, you instinctively, you start to pass them off. And then you realize, oh, not playing that anymore. <laughs> and you go with them. I don't think it's hurt them any at all. Uh, I just think you see them still. And, and they've been very good defensively. I just, you see those old tendencies every now and again pop up, which is just, a, it's been a little entertaining to me. Not really a big deal. They're, uh, what, 26th in adjusted defense right now on Ken Palm? I mean, a lot of yeah, but a lot of that is still yeah, it's still working from, itself out. But from last defensively, year, so. they've, defensively against two good offensive teams, they've been good. Um, Javon Cumberland shot it really well. Uh, after missing his first two, he goes what five for eight the rest of the way. Yeah, and when when he lets it out of his hand, it just feels like it's going in. Well, I know there was one. In the, I think it's the beginning of the second half. I, I like that. No, I like that oh. he caught it on the wing, and the defender was kind of anticipating him shooting, and he kind of gave a little like stutter step and drove in for an yeah. easy layup. Because um, you know that's going to happen every time he touches the ball. Everyone's going to yell shooter, and so. They're not, you know, the more times he can, you know, show that, either get all the way to the basket, stop and pull up, we'll, get, we'll end up on the back end giving him more room to get his yeah. shot off. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, I don't really think we need to talk about Alabama A&M. They are uh, 350 out of 353 in Ken Palm. They're Did they three... play Houston last night or was that Alabama State? Uh, I think it was Alabama State. Uh, that was Houston's first game last night, too. It was weird to wait that long. They stink. So that should be a, a one. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> that should be a nice tune-up <clears throat> to uh to get ready for uh, the, the, the holiday tournament that's coming up. Um, I, I don't, you know, just... Continue to see things evolve. Continue to see the offense evolve. The defense should be really good. Alabama A&M, 353 on offense, 343. They're last on offense. They're 10th to last on defense. That one should not be in question at any point uh, from opening tip going forward. Well, uh, in, in normal cases, you'd be like, this is, I mean, you could still say it, but like, it's actually not a throwaway game in the sense of, it's kind of like an extra practice, but with yeah. refs and with, with guys that don't 
know what you're doing. Right. Because say what you want. If you in practice, subliminally, the, the defense knows what the offense is trying to do, so they inherently have you know cut, jump angles and, and and do stuff like that. So they can work on sets. They can work on they can be shit. They can work on anything they want. <laughs> this team's gonna yeah. be terrible. They but stay. so it, it kind of gives them almost like another exhibition and scrimmage game where you're not really worried about the end result because you're going to win. So you can, you can work on a few, a few things in that regard. Yeah. So let's, uh, to wrap up, we'll talk about signing day a little bit. Um, yeah, please do. Bearcats added three guys, Mike Saunders, uh, point guard out of Indianapolis via Wasatch Academy in, uh, Utah. And then Gabe and Mason Madsen, twin brothers with uh, un- unidentical twin brothers. Gabe being a crafty 6'5", scoring wing, really good shooter, can put it on the bounce uh, and get to, you know, get to where he wants to with the ball in his hands. Good passer. Uh, Mason Madsen, a little bit more of a kind of a scrappy, Multiple position defender can, you know, he's, he's 6'3", where Gabe is 6'5", almost 6'6". Um, Mason's going to be a guy that can guard the one, can guard the two. Shot at over 40% last season in high school. Uh, he can definitely knock down shots. He's going to probably be more of a combo guard than a true point guard. Uh, I think, you know, going forward down the road, a guy that you'll see playing, you know, with Mike Saunders at times, to give them that two-point guard look that is uh, becoming ever so popular in in basketball now. Um, the questions for me. What are your questions for me on these three? Um, questions for you on these three. Just, you know, what kind of impact do you think they could have initially and – where do you like what roles do they like where do they fit in what John's trying to do with the roster as a whole moving forward? I think the the awesome part about Chris McNeil is I think you're getting a look at how speed end to end can impact the game in John's system. And Mike Saunders is elite fast with the ball in his hands. I don't know what that like. I don't know if he's actually fast. Like I'm sure he is like lining up and like just having him run. Right. You can't be like that fast dribbling and then be slow running. Right. But what I know is when he has the ball in his hands, you just don't see many guys like him that, that can be in a, a one-on-three situation at you know when he gets when he's at half court, and by the time he gets to the rim, he has beaten all three guys to the rim. For me, I liken it to, and I know a lot of UC fans won't like this name, but it reminds me of watching Peyton Siva at Louisville, where there were three or four times a game just out of nowhere, either after a made basket on the other end or, you know, just what looks like a mundane rebound where, you know, somebody gets the ball and outlets it up to the, up, you know, up near midcourt 
And then next thing you know, he's laying the ball in. And you're looking at your looking at the person next to you going, how did that just happen? Like, how did he get there so fast and so ahead of everyone else? And I'm, you know, like, you guys know how I am. I, I don't impress easily on the AAU circuit. I just don't. I've been doing it for a long time. You know, you, you get jaded a bit. And it's not really jaded, I don't say. It's just you, you've seen so much that very rarely does somebody strike you as, wow, that looks different than a lot of what I've seen over the past 13 years. And that's Mike Saunders with the ball in his hand playing downhill. Um, what I like in the half court, he understands how to use change of pace to make that speed explosive in the half court. Because it's one thing to do it in the open court, you know, when guys are are trying to get back and everybody's, you know, running and the defense isn't really settled. It's another thing to do it in the half court when defenses are set and, you know, have the ability to kind of slow down what you're trying to do. He still can get to the rim. He can get into the lane at will and can get to the rim, you know, much better than most, even in the half court. He's going to have to develop as a shooter. Um, I do think that's going to happen. And I've talked to him about it. And he's, you know, he said, the problem is I move so fast that my feet struggle to be consistently set. So that means his, his release, his, his mechanics aren't consistent because his feet aren't consistent. I think as he gets more time working with Brandon, working with Tim Morris, um, on, on getting the mechanical part of his perimeter shooting in a half-court system down, I think he'll be okay. Because, you know, like when, when and I don't mean this, this to disparage anyone, but when Logan Johnson got here last year, you could see his shot was had a major flaw in it. Even better example, when uh, Justin Jennifer got here, his shot had a major flaw in it. His off-thumb he was using to get power on the jump shot, which probably happened as, you know, as he was a kid learning how to shoot growing up, he was little. So he had to get more power on the ball. So as a left-hander, he was using a thumb on his right hand to help get the ball to the rim, which made it knuckle. He spent a lot of time working on it. And by his senior year, he's the number one three-point shooter in the conference. Um, I don't think Mike Saunders has that far to go because I don't think, like, if you look at his release point and the mechanics at the top of his shot, there's not, there's, it's not broken. It just needs to be refined. And he well, needs to refine and, his footwork more than anything. And if he can do that, guys are going to play off him so yeah. much because they're just so worried about his speed that he's going to have open shots. Yes, absolutely. And I think he's going to get there. I think Mike Saunders is going to end up being – I don't want to say a perfect fit, but it's it's what John Brandon wants, and it's a kid that John Brandon has known since seventh grade. His first camp at NKU was when he spotted Mike Saunders. Right. And he's built a relationship with the kid and his family for five years now. Like, I don't – people kind of realize it by now, I guess, but when John Brandon got the job, Mike Saunders was in the bag. That one was happening. <laughs> And as a coach, you got to have that. You got to always have like, you know, one or two guys that 
we're going to make this one happen if I get a bump up. And he got a bump up. He ended up at a place where he could land Mike Saunders, and he did. So um, I think that's going to be a really good fit. I really like Gabe Madsen as a scorer, as a as a potential. And it's going to take a little while. He's going to have to get a little stronger. Um, but I like him as a, a potential all-league type guy as he gets into you know, his junior and senior seasons at Cincinnati. Um, and if you get development from Zach Harvey and you've got three years of, of Harvey and, and Gabe Madsen together on the wing, I think that can be a really, really good combo for Cincinnati. Um, Gabe shoots it. Like I said, he can, he had the reputation as a shooter when I went to watch him for the first time and you start watching him and it's far more than just, you know, a a spot up shooter. He can shoot it off the bounce. He can get to the rim. He's a better athlete than you realize. Um, You know, he's not a freaky athlete, but he's got the ability to to take you off the bounce and get to the rim and finish. He's an excellent free throw shooter. Um, I'm really, really high on Gabe Madsen and, and his potential going forward. Mason, I think, has the opportunity to be a really, really solid rotation guy in time. Um. John mentioned it today, and I think it's interesting. He said he's got the opportunity to be an irritant defensively. Where he's just one of those guys, kind of like me playing pickup ball back in the day. I couldn't really score, but I was little and I was fast, and I just bugged the shit out of you. Sorry, Dan. Bugged the crap out of you (laughs) uh, with the ball in your hand. And I think I do think Mason has a chance to really be a guy that can be a you know a, a a solid rotation guy, a guy that comes in has you know really drive the opponent crazy with your defense, be able to handle the ball, be a good facilitator if asked, and then knock down shots because he does. You know he's not a, a, a an elite shooter, but the kid has the ability to knock down shots. So I, think- I I like that with the Madsons we we definitely hit on all of the stereotypical cliches like yeah when coach's the games kid, when they get when they get here the broadcasters will be like coach's son really understands the game sneaky athletic you know more more athletic than you think always in the gyms high basketball IQ like we're we're gonna hit the uh, you know, the white basketball player bingo with before December hits with those guys. Oh, without question. I will say this, though. Going forward, you got Mike Adams-Woods and, and Zach Harvey in that first class, and now you got Mike Saunders, Gabe Madsen, Mason Madsen in the second class, along with Jeremiah Davenport, who can, can help with the three and the four. I think you've got six kids in those first two classes that are going to be uh, critical to John Brandon's success going forward. And I think all three of them can play and, and play at the highest levels of the American Athletic Conference. The question now is you got to get some guys inside. And, you know, uh, Josh Agundale has decided he's going to Iowa. Uh, haven't heard a lot from Nigel John. 
I, I think that one and Brett just texted me. I think that one is uh, UC and and Utah State are really where he's looking at. Um, Tari Eason is probably going to be a December decision. I think UC is in a really good spot there. I think if I was picking right now, I would have UC out front. Um, but they've got six guys in the backcourt that are going to help them long term. Now they need to focus on adding two, three, four guys to the front court over the next year, season or two or whatever, and really set up this team going forward. Uh, because I think what they've got on the perimeter between this class and the last class, he's done an excellent job of, of keeping the talent level high and getting guys that fit his system uh, for the next two years going forward. So I think that's a very, very positive sign uh, as we've, we're taking a look at, you know, one and a half recruiting classes for John Brandon as we uh, we we are in the early signing period. So that's, my, that's how many how many spots do they have for next year? Well, some of that depends on what happens with Prince. Um, if there is a feeling that he can come back, then he stays on athletic scholarship. Uh, if there's a feeling that you know, after heart surgery and, and the things that have, have, have gone on with him, if he ends his basketball career, they'll get that one back. Um, and then they would have three, but right now they've got two. Is John someone that will play the transfer market, the grad? Yeah. I mean, obviously he played the grad transfer market this year, probably more out of necessity than anything else. Um, the reason I ask is just because you're going to go from, a pretty, a pretty old team in the grand scheme of things to next year, an incredibly young team. And I wonder if, you know, is there some value in trying to, to find some, some older pieces to kind of. Yeah. He's, open, that. he's definitely open to it. He, um, he talked about it today at the press conference. Um, one thing I thought was interesting that he actually admitted to is that they actually already have, as part of their recruiting department, they are building video on potential grad transfers. So that way they can be ready when the offseason hits, if they're in the market for a grad transfer, they've already got tape on names as they hit the, the market. And they've already got evaluations on guys, so they know, you know, they're not going to waste time on, is this a kid we want? It's going to be, this is a kid that fits what we want. Let's see if we can get involved. Um, right. So, yeah, I don't think he's against it. I don't. Obviously, I don't think, one, he's a guy that wants to recruit high school kids, and he's a guy that wants to get things done in the early signing period. But he, I don't think he's going to be against transfers and grad transfers and and whatever else uh that that becomes available in the spring as you know kind of patches on where things are going especially in the early going now i could see is if he because here's what happens if you are focused on high school kids and completing your classes in the early signing period and if you're making proper evaluations and things are going as they're supposed to, you're not going to have a lot of spots open in the spring. That's what we saw with Mick. You know, with right. Mick. 
I don't like, think his 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 stance is that different, honestly. So yeah, and I think especially the way that 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 this thing is set up with losing so many seniors, um, I could see one or two of those spots. You know, let's say hypothetically they land Eason. I think you could. There's a good chance you could see him save those other two. You know, you'll have vote back for his senior year, uh, but maybe going and getting another transfer center, um, grad transfer center to come in and help him. Um, or looking at a four. Although if you know if Eason comes in, if Davenport's playing there, I think they would prefer to play Mamadou there over playing him at the five. Um, so you, you, you could potentially have some depth at the four, but yeah, I think he's open to it. I don't think it's a, it's a high school or bust situation at all. I, I think he's, it, it, you know, he would prefer the high school stuff, but sometimes the way the game is, has evolved and the way things are going, the right move is to go, you know, go grab a grad transfer guy and, and patch a hole for a year and try to recruit it the next year. So well, I, I think that's kind of where it's at. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would, you know, if it was me, I'd probably tend to lean that way just next year specifically, just because you're going to, you know, if when you look at the roster this year, your main, all of your main guys, whether they're starters or bench players, are seniors outside of Keith. So yeah. you're going to need someone that's like been played some level of minutes in like a whatever they called a big game. Like, I just think it's going to be hard, regardless of talent, to just like roll that group out next year without, you know, one, maybe two more upperclassmen that you can kind of rely on to be those type of players for you. Because, like, what's the difference? Like, are you really going to get much from another high school kid that you sign in the spring? Or should you just wait and try to land, you know, a top 10, top 20 transfer? Right. So, that's kind of where we're at. I think it was a it was a positive signing day, a positive initial signing day for John Brannon. Um, I, Mike Saunders and, and, and Gabe Madsen, I think, are going to have a chance to be big-time guys here. And like I said, I think Mason can be a really solid four-year rotation guy that, that adds a lot of value as a defender and a shooter. So, that's about all I got. You got anything else? No, I'm all set. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up. We will see everybody Saturday night, 7 o'clock. Everybody but Dave, as always. Saturday night, 7 o'clock, Taft's Brewporium. Come watch the Bearcats take on the USF Bulls, the number 17 Cincinnati Bearcats take on the USF Bulls. I will be there. I'll see you there. Dave, I'll talk to you next week. Yeah. He's Dave Simone. Everybody have fun. I'm Chad Brendel. We'll see you next time. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.